welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. We are in a series about the king and his kingdom. And I know you might be thinking, we are? Because it's been a minute. But we are. As the pastor, I can assure you, we're in this series. <laughs> and the reason that I want you to get this is because as we get deeper and deeper into the great awakening that we have already gotten into, we are going to need to know how to operate in the kingdom that is coming in greater manifestation as days go by. <laughs> I might have just lost a bunch of you, but that's okay. Stick with me, kid. We'll be all right. We are going into deeper places of the Great Awakening every day. Last night I was... It's been a whirlwind couple weeks. Um, We've traveled all over. Just got back from Colorado last night and stuff and things. So it was like... 9.30 at night I was standing on my patio staring at the stars and I was thinking about something that the Lord said and he said very clearly on the inside of me he said the roots of the tree have been severed and I immediately understood what that meant was the wickedness that has the vines of wickedness that has strangled humanity for decades that the roots have been cut my father cut the roots and I don't know when he didn't tell me when because I asked him I'm like when did that happen and I didn't get an answer which I know enough uh, I might I might not be the sharpest knife in the box um, but I got a little bit of an edge to me And I know that when I ask the Father, He doesn't answer, there's a reason He doesn't answer. (laughs) Because I don't really need to know. So I asked Him when, He didn't answer. But then I had, I had a, a vision, like just on the inside, I had a vision of that, the severing of those roots, slowly drying out and making brittle every one of the vines. So there's still vines. And they're still constricting. So if you go home and you get you hear some terrible news, the government did something, or Dr. Fauci tries to pretend to be a doctor again and and flip flops from one lie to another, um, or some other ignoramus that thinks that they're wise that are absolute fool uh, comes out and tries to make some mandate to control you or steal your liberties. If you go home tonight and you hear that. Don't say, wow, Pastor Steve was a liar and he was wrong. No, what I want you to understand is that the vine still has constriction on it until it's brittle enough and people are bold and strong and courageous enough to break those bands that bind them. It's happening. 
It's going to happen. And it's happening. We've already broke the bands on the church. The church has been set free. If a church is closed today, it's because it's not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've actually been really tenuous about making those kind of statements, but I'm done with all that. If a church is shut down right now, if a church makes you mask, if a church won't let you go there until you get a vaccine, they are not a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't. Don't do that. <laughs> and as, Shundai. As this kingdom manifests in greater and greater ways, as it touches every aspect of your lives, those that are entering into deeper places of the kingdom, you are going to have the benefits of this. The rest of the world, they're going to be tormented by this. And it's not because the Father wants anybody tormented. It's going to be because they're going to come to a realization that the own, their own choices in their lives is what has destroyed them. And it's going to terrorize them. That doesn't mean that they're going to be lost or damned or anything like that. But... Not everybody that experiences terror actually does something about it. Some folks die in terror. That's why terrorism works. It works because people are afraid of terrorism. If you weren't afraid of terrorism, terrorism would never work. (laughs) You'd go and stop. There would not be a single piece of terrorism on this world if it didn't work. The reason it exists is because it works. It makes people scared. It makes people afraid. They control by fear. Our Father doesn't control. He offers love. And that actually terrorizes people. It terrorizes people. Because if they know they've been loved their whole lives and they've rejected it, they've made the choices to walk away from it, they will have to deal with the terror of knowing that they've rejected the greatest gift ever. But the great thing about God is God moves into terror. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. That means that the Spirit of God moves into places of fear and offers power, love, and soundness of mind. And when He does, those folks that are in terror are going to experience what many of you have. The peace of God. The love of God. And it's going to change everything. Some of you are on the precipice of that. You've been moving closer and closer. You don't know if you want to dive in quite yet. Some of you can see it. Some of you are in it. And I pray today that you get closer. Because it's not the Father that's holding you back. The king of the kingdom would love to rule and reign in your heart, your life, your health, your finances, your emotions. But the king only goes 
into places of his dominion. That's where the word kingdom comes from. King's dominion. And I know that it's a falsity that have been preached and taught in the body of Christ that God just rules over everything. God's in charge of everything. God rules over everything. And God bless your ignorant, precious little heart if you believe that. Because if you believe that, then you believe that God is in charge of children being kidnapped and and put into sex trafficking. You're going to believe that God's in charge of human trafficking. God's in charge of wars in destructive natural occurrences like tornadoes and and all that. If you believe that God's in charge of that, what in the world are you doing sitting in here? <laughs> Why would you want to serve a God that murders people? Torments people? Kidnaps little children out of innocence? That's a terrible doctrine. And it's destroyed a lot of people's lives. That is not our God. Our God is a God of love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says that God is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. It's His DNA. It's His chemical composition, if there was such a thing with God. He is love. He's made of love. And if you call love kidnapping children and putting them into sex trafficking, then I am going to report you. And I pray they put you in a prison cell for the rest of your life. That is not love, beloved. God's kind of love is annotated very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it is kind and patient. That composition, for those of you that are born again, is you. When you are born of God, born from above of God, you are born of His substance. You have His DNA. Your DNA is God. Your DNA is Love. So the king's dominion is where the king is allowed to rule and reign in love. One of the reasons that that I want to be the greatest, uh, most godly husband that I could ever possibly be because I want my wife to experience the kingdom of God. And I want to experience the kingdom of God. And I want our marriage to experience the kingdom of God for the rest of my life. I want the king to rule in our marriage. And it will bring prosperity in every way. And those of you that struggle with thinking that God can do great things with your marriage, there's not a piece of your marriage that can't get touched by the Creator of marriage and that includes the bedroom for those of you that are so holy that you don't think that's a part of marriage Luke chapter 12 verse 32 you'll be alright 
we got good youth leaders, they'll untangle all the problems I make. <laughs> Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Your father's desire for you, if you will submit to being a part of his flock. Not everybody does. They'd rather be out there being a goat, doing their own thing. The difference between a goat and a sheep is sheep go, Amen. And goats go, but, 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 but. So if you're a but, but, but kind of person, you need to be born again. We'll make you a sheep. And then you'll be, amen, pastor. That was way better than you guys responded. No, no, don't do it now. Fear not, little flock. The greatest place of power that you'll experience in your life is realizing you are powerless without Him. The more powerful you think you are in yourself, the more you are positioned for destruction. Satan would love for you to think that you've got this, that you're strong, that you are capable in yourself and in your own power and in your great wisdom to make an amazing life. Jeremiah said it this way. I think it's in Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah cries out. He was, he was called the weeping prophet. He cries out. He says, Oh God, I know it is not within man to control his own steps, his own destiny. What a powerful thing to do. What a powerful thing for me to recognize that the best version of Steve sucks compared to the God version of Steve. (laughs) The best version of you. If you have 47 doctorates, you're the smartest human that's ever lived. Intellectual. Please, if you believe there is a God, compare that to the eternal God. If you're the strongest man, the world's strongest man, and you can pick up the Atlas boulders and you can put them up on the... Who made the Atlas boulder? (laughs) Who made the world? Who made the universe? And the scriptures say that it... He can, God can fit the whole universe in the span of his hand. From the tip of his thumb to the tip of the finger, of his pinky finger. The whole universe fits there. The scriptures say that the stars were breathed out of his nostrils. The sun. We just went to Colorado and... Um, I watched a movie. It's like one of the few times in my life I ever watch a movie is on an airplane. And I watched some stupid movie. <laughs> Green uh, Lantern. Um, su- there we go. Well, look at all the people that watch movies. <laughs> so, uh, which I like superhero movies because almost every superhero movie has some kind of a parallel to Jesus. Jesus was the original superhero. Almost every love story 
that you can read this uh, in, in critics' reviews or whatever. Almost every love story has some kind of a Romeo-Juliet thing going on uh, in order for it to be a true love story. Just so you know, Romeo and Juliet came from the Scriptures. Jesus was the original Romeo. Um, every superhero movie has some kind of a... Okay, Superman literally is Jesus. Came from another kingdom. Had parents from a different kingdom. Is invincible, indestructible. Sacrifices himself for everyone else. So, I say all that to say, like, I, I like war movies. Because I own guns. And I appreciate patriotism. And then I like superhero movies. So, Green Lantern, when I was a kid, he was a superhero. I, I know, a bunch of you are thinking, like, Pastor Watch Green. I know, it was a stupid movie. Here's the especially stupid part. So, the, the evil creature thing, the fear thing, the cloud dude, if you've seen the movie, the way the Green Lantern ends up killing the most powerful entity in the dark, like the devil himself, which is this fear cloud thing, is by dragging him into the sun. That's the way that, that's the way he kills him. Which, there, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some spiritual parallels there. You wanna, you wanna cure, cure, kill, fear, in your life, drag it into the sun. But it made me think like, so the most powerful thing that these Green Lantern movie writers could come up with was this entity of fear that was able to destroy the whole world. If it wasn't for Green Lantern, like, leading them out into the, into the stratosphere. And they killed him with the sun. And my, th- my first thought was, the sun was one of about a quadrillion stars that came out of God's breath when he made the whole universe. And the most powerful thing that these movie writers could come up with, this, this creature of fear, was killed by one star in one galaxy, in one solar system, of the quadrillion galaxies in the endless universe that all came out of my father's words one day. Okay, maybe this is doing more for me than for you, but... <laughs> This is atypical of the enemy. The enemy comes and says, I am fear. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do this to your family. I'm going to do this to your finances. You're in a pandemic. I'm going to kill you with a virus that has a 99.99997% recovery rate. (gasps) I better put a mask on. Yes, the mask will protect you. I won't go there. Okay, just let me do this. We were, uh, Kay and I were forced to wear, uh, we were forced to take a mask on our flight back. We, we literally went all the way there, went through the entire airport, went the entire ride all the way to California. Not one person said anything to us. Uh, on the way back, 
the only time was when we were on the plane, and we have the little neck gaiters, and so uh, they said, hey, you guys need to put your masks on, and so we pulled our neck gaiters up to our mustache, or whatever Kay has, and... <laughs> And it was okay for a minute, then eventually the stewardess uh, came by and gave us the American Airline officially issued uh, medical, whatever they, whatever, the real masks. And Kay flips it over. She goes, huh, made in China. <laughs> American Airlines. Uh, 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 American Airlines gave us a mask made in China to protect us from the virus made in China. That's COVID logic. COVID logic. But, for all of you that are laughing about that, how many times do you think that you are going to increase your intelligence, increase your ability, increase in some natural way, and you're going to protect yourself from some natural thing? It's COVID logic. Well, if I just had a little, more, little bit more money, then I'd have joy and peace. If I just had a better spouse, because that old battle axe. If I had a better job, then everything... If something in the natural can add value to your life, then the best it can add is something natural. And everything natural is temporal. Everything natural is temporal. I'm going to show you that in a minute. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure. It pleases the Father for you to allow Him to give you, give, not sell, not manipulate, not threaten, give. It's a gift, which means it's good, because He only gives good gifts. There's, uh, I, I struggle sometimes with people that, uh, parents that have children and they, and they try to convince me and the whole world, usually on Facebook, of how great a parent they are. And they don't realize I have the actual Spirit of God, so I understand things differently than most of their foolish friends. For someone to say they love their children and to not give them an opportunity to know God, you don't love your child. And I'm sorry if that's offensive. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But I'm saying the greatest thing that any child could ever possibly have is a relationship with God. There's nothing greater than that. And for a parent in their own self-centeredness to not make, to not make that available to their child. I've actually had parents of... Some of you don't know this. I was a chaplain at the jail for many, many years. And so I spent hundreds of hours ministering to uh, guys that were in jail and or prison. And um, I actually, I had a, a, about a 22-year-old guy who was, he was going away forever. Um, 
And I was ministering, obviously I was ministering the things of God to him, and I'm like, did you, and he wanted to have kind of special one-on-one time, and I was trying to help unravel his life, and he told me that he had godly parents, and I'm like, you had godly parents? He's like, yeah. I said, did you go to church? He's like, no, 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 my parents thought that it would be important for me to make my own decision about God. So he made his own decision about God in jail at 22 when he was going to prison for the rest of his life. He met God. I introduced him, and it wrecked him. And he's born again today and probably has a great relationship with God in prison for the rest of his life. The scriptures say that a parent, a godly parent, raises a child up in the way that they should go. And then when they're old, they won't depart from that way. You raise them in the way they should go. So I need to force my religion on a kid? Okay, if you have religion, do not, do not give your child religion. And you need to repent and get born again because Jesus is not religion. It's relationship. And if your child ever knew how great Jesus was, they would want to have a friend like Jesus. There's no greater friend than Jesus. <clears throat> so the greatest thing I, I can do, I, I, I think about this all the time I just, when we got back because um, Andrew uh, spent a lot of time talking about legacy because obviously he's getting older and so he, he, he's desiring to see what is going to be his eternal impact on the world. And so he's thinking and talking a lot about legacy, which is obviously making me think about it. And um, and my children are here, are both here. My daughter and they're both serving back there. God bless you. Um, and Gunner just uh, crossed a decade, so he he crossed a decade last week. He's now into his second decade, second verse better than the first. And I. I think about this all the time. The greatest thing that I could ever give my children, ever, is to show them a man of God who loves his wife and loves his God. It's the greatest thing I could ever give them. If they're 80 years old and they say, well, tell us about your father. And the only thing they say is, my dad loved God. And love my mother. I can tell you, in heaven, I'm going to dance a jig. My kids got it. That was it. Obviously, there's more to parenting than that. But those were my primary goals, was to love their mother with everything I had. And I failed a ton of times. Thank God they were little and they didn't pick up on it. But to love their mother and to love... Their creator is the greatest legacy that I could ever give their children. That's what Jesus did. What was his legacy? He loved the Father. And he loved his bride, the church. To death. To death. It is your Father's good pleasure. It pleases the Father to give you this good gift. Today I'm going to... Uh, talk about something especially 
relative for today because today we have our first second service, which I know that sounds awkward, but it's legit. Our first second service. And we've been moving this way for a long time. We've been waiting to see the excitement in the flock, in the beloved family, to get to that place where we could, we could actually think about doubling the amount of people that could be impacted by this culture and by the love of God. And today is the day. And I was thinking, like, what is one of the most impactful things that I could say twice? That I can say this morning and I can say tonight. And, I, and I've, I've really been thinking about this and meditating and talking to my father a lot about this. And he impressed upon me the power of thankfulness. Just being thankful. That most people... Most people, most Christians, I'm, I'm talking to a Christian environment. I'm not preaching at people who aren't here. I'm talking to people who are here. Most people are very ungrateful and have no thankfulness in their life. Now, they start their prayer off that way because they got to. Father, thank you for whatever I got to preemptively thank you for until I can actually get to the part of my prayer that I want to get to, which is you doing something good to stroke myself. Give me more money. Give me more happiness. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Because you don't have enough. We're three generations into the ideology that we ain't got enough. And I, I'm generation two, so I, I mean, I'm not picking on anybody. Most everybody in this room is of the three generations that we're talking about. Four generations ago, they had a world war. And so they realized that it wasn't all about them. They actually sacrificed their life. They sacrificed their, their time. They sacrificed their money. They sacrificed meals. Because they knew that the world was at war. And it was important for the evil of communism to not take over the world. And so people sacrificed by the millions. And they were, they were grateful to do it. And now we have 72% of people under 20 years old believe that socialism is a good thing. Four generations ago... Millions of Americans died to stop socialism from and its wicked claws to take over the world. Four generations later, they say socialism is a good thing and they're, they're running headlong into helter-skelter. And one of the reasons is, is because we're th- also three generations into not having a fight. You don't value things that you don't obtained through a fight. That's why marriages are falling apart. There is no knight in shining armor who slays a dragon who gets the bride. This is why gals don't feel like brides. And this is why men are emasculated. And now we have society telling all the guys that they can be girls and all the girls they can be guys. And they're accepting it. 
It wouldn't have worked four generations ago. Go tell all the greatest generation who are going off to war despite the evil of communism that they can just wake up tomorrow and feel like a woman and be one. You'd be spitting teeth. Why does it work today? Because we're three generations into not having a fight. Everything's just come really easy. There isn't a single person in this room. I know this for a fact. There isn't a single person in this room that will have to be concerned about your food. In fact, I'd say 90% of this room is probably concerned about too much food. Especially when you stand naked in front of the mirror. (laughs) Me too. Four generations ago, they gave up food for the men to go and fight against evil. Which means that they were thankful for the food that they had. Many Christians, I sit with preachers, and they'll sit down and scarf down a meal. Actually, probably two meals. And they won't even pray for it. Preachers. They aren't thankful for the food they got. I actually thank God that I grew up poor. We grew up, we didn't have food. We went, there's times that we went two, three days without eating. I had hand-me-down underwear. I'm thankful for underwear. Someone else had hand-me-down underwear. We used to have cream-dried beef over toast. Okay, there's about eight people that are poor. It has another name that I won't say on YouTube. It's good though. Cream dried beef over toast. Some poverty mom came up with cream dried beef over toast and it took off in all the poor folk in America. Thank God. Thank God for cream dried beef over toast. I was thankful. To have something that made the hunger pains go away. One of the reasons that fasting is an important part of the Christian lifestyle is because we have become so self-serving that we actually don't know what it's like to not have something. To actually make our flesh come into submission to something important. Almost every person in here can go out and get nearly anything you want. You might have to finance it for the rest of your life, but you can get it. You can get the new $1,200 phone. You can get the new $60,000 regular pickup truck. That is, Yeah, regular. Did you hear me? The $60,000 regular pickup truck. You, You can go get, probably anybody in here can go get about anything they want. If you just got a sign on the dotted line. Sell your soul and you can have it. Which means you got what you want. And you don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't have you don't have a heart that is sensitive to the Father's voice and leading. Because now you have all the things that you want, which means you have all the stress that goes with providing for the things that you want. And then you see the commercial, 
and your brand new truck is not so brand new anymore. Paul wrote a very eloquent dissertation on the grace of God. Grace is unmerited favor. You get things from God that you don't deserve. Unmerited means you don't merit it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. God gives it to you anyway. Because He's good, not because you're good. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Not favor of man. Like if I favored you, the best I can give you is... I don't even know. I don't have much. Whatever. I, I think I have $11 a month. I can give you $11. <laughs> the Father owns everything. Unmerited favor is a massive part of his kingdom. Paul wrote this amazing letter, the book of Romans, explaining the grace of God, how it's obtained in our lives, how it came to be, what the necessity for it was because of the, the depravity of the human nature, how, how God solved that problem in Romans 6 through the death of his son, which became your death that killed your old man, actually destroyed your old man. And for those of you that think that you got like a a little demon on this shoulder and a little angel on this shoulder and and they're warring with each other and one day you listen to the demon, one day you listen, you, you have been lied to. If you have been born again, the demon has been killed. The old man is dead. Dead. Anybody know what dead is? Dead. Dead. Not only is it dead, Romans chapter 6, I think it's verse 6 or 7, says that that old body was destroyed. So God, God knowing how we are. Amen. He didn't just kill the old man. He took the opportunity after the old man was dead to destroy it. Because he knows how we... It would be the only thing that we would ever resurrect is the old man. Well, let me bring up this old guy that I used to love and destroyed my life. God destroyed the old man. And I, and I know you're thinking, well, no, I still got all these thoughts and all these temptations from this old person, this old nature. All right, well, good for you. You don't have to. You do, there, you do not have permission to sin, to miss the mark. You don't have to wake up tomorrow and plan to miss the mark. Amen. It's been a while since I preached this stuff. Everybody's looking at me like a dog at a new dish. You, you don't have to. You think you do because you've been told that. Well, we're only human. Well, if you believe you're only human, then I would encourage you to come up to the altar after service. We'll kill you. And we'll let you be born again, and then you won't be only human. You'll be of the God kind. You'll be of your Father's nature, which is love and divine and supernatural. If you believe you're only human, well, good for you. We like to kill you. Come on up. Get you some. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to fail. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be oppressed. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to be any of that. Jesus came to give you His quality and His quantity of life. Jesus is not depressed. I promise you. Jesus is not going to get a loan for a new truck in heaven. Amen? 
Jesus is not worried about a pandemic. No, no, come on. How worried is heaven? What, What do you think heaven's opinion of it is? Do you think they have the same opinion as, mm, I don't know, the CDC? Which somehow started making laws, because while we were in the airport, they said, it's a federal law for you to not do this and that and this and that. See CDC.gov. And I was like, I turned to Kay, and I was like, I I didn't know the CDC turned into Congress, and they can make federal laws. You didn't know that either, did you? All of a sudden, the CDC can make laws and put you into federal prison because that was the threat that they played over and over and over and over in the airport. That Kay and I were lawless, lawbreaker infidels. We should have went to prison. And I was wearing my American flag shirt. Nobody molested us. I wonder why. The Book of Romans is where I was trying to go. The first chapter is why you need the grace of God. And I'm breaking right into the center of a thought. But what Paul did was he he eloquently, it's beautiful the way he did this, was he laid out why we had to have God rescue us because we were incapable of rescuing ourselves. And I'm breaking right into the center of a thought, but Paul was giving... The process that a person goes from birth to, ap- to utter destruction. And most people don't think about that, but there is a process. And I say this all the time, uh, but I don't say it on tape. How can I say this in a different way on tape? <clears throat> um, okay, let me do it this way. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and kill your, uh, and become a mass murderer. You're not going to be sitting in church today, loving God, worshiping God, having a great time, do the, do the board meeting, do second service, and let the grace of God, and then wake up tomorrow and murder 47 people. No, you, you're going to wake up tomorrow and be like, ah, man, you know, Blue Monday, stupid people at work did the thing and the stuff, and ugh. And then you wake up Tuesday and you're like, government. And then, you, then like four years later, you're like, oh, this boss, I hate this guy. And then four years later and four years later. And then at some point, you get to the point where you actually cross that line where you think you can take a human life. And then you take another one, then you take another one, then you kill 47 people. You don't wake up tomorrow after Sunday church and kill 47 people. It, you have to get there. Destruction is a process, not a moment. That's why the enemy keeps taking you a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper. When I was, when I was not with God, it was like, um, it wasn't enough to get drunk and go get the girl from high school. You know, you, you, had, to, you had to get drunk and, and get three girls. And then you had to do the next thing and the next thing there there was you never it was never satisfied you you always had to keep you had to get a little bit more high and a little bit more high and a little and get a little bit deeper and and cuss a little more and it, all those people that are shaking their heads at me remember what it was like to not be born again that process paul actually lays out here in romans chapter 1 Step one is, Romans one twenty one is that because when they knew God, everyone has an innate knowledge of God. 
Now, some people don't like it. Some people claim to be atheistic or agnostic, but they actually aren't. Everybody on the inside of them knows that there is a God. Romans makes that super clear. You cannot look at creation and not realize there's a creator. And there's not a single person that's ever called themselves an atheist or agnostic that I've had a conversation with that has walked away and has won the debate. Not one time. Because there are so many clear examples of the fact that there's a creation. Now, if you want to argue what God and and how everything and which holy book is the... That's fine. I mean, you can do that and you're going to have a way better opportunity at maybe coming out on top of a debate. But... Every single human being ever born knows God placed on the inside of them a knowledge that there is a God and a draw to Him. Because as a creation, we are drawn to our Creator. And so Paul was saying every single person, this is why nobody ever is going to get to the end of their lives, stand at judgment day and say, what? I didn't know. God is fair. God is absolutely fair. Every person knows, either innately or they've been told or both. But everyone knows. And so Paul was saying that because everyone knows there is a God, in order to get away from that internal knowledge that God placed on you, the first step that a person has to do is not glorify Him as God. That's the first thing the enemy's got to convince someone to do. Now, this happens all the time. This happens to people in this room where we don't glorify Him. The word glorify means to have high value and high opinion of Him. And the reason that that even people in this room who know there's a God who's trying to, trying to figure it out is because we think that our things are our things. I'm not giving God my money. If he was God, he wouldn't need my money. I've I've heard people say that. He doesn't need your money. You, You think God wants you to give to him because he's poor? Are you for real? That's a special kind of stupid. He wants you to give to him so that you get... God is the one that created the whole farming thing. You put a seed in the ground, it makes a thing that has lots of seeds in it. God created that. Amen. 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 Okay, it works the same thing in every part. You give joy, guess what you reap? You give money, what do you reap? Every seed produces after its own kind. God made the system. You can argue with it, you can get mad at Him. Or you can submit to it. If you don't believe me, go out tonight and be mean to everybody on the way home. And see what happens tomorrow. For some reason, the devil is a whole lot better at making his harvest come quicker than sometimes you are with the good things. This is the system that God created. The first thing that a person has to do is not glorify God as God. Not have high value and high opinion on God. This is regular churchianity in America today. Well, I know the Bible says that, but that is not glorifying God as God. Well, I know that this is the right thing to do, but 
that's not glorifying God as God. I know that I am supposed to love my, love my wife as Christ loves the church. But, that's not glorifying God as God. I know I'm supposed to not forsake the assembling together of the saints. But, I would rather sit on my couch and watch my preacher on Facebook Live. It's a whole lot easier. In my pajamas. In my pajamas. (laughs) And he's in his pajamas. Step one. Not honoring, valuing. Why do you think honor is the punchline to jokes today? You talk about honor today, and people will laugh at you. You talk about things like courage, respect. Those are not things that happen today. You know, it it literally, about 100, maybe 150 years ago, one of the most respected people in the entire community was the preacher. Even if you weren't a Christian... The mayor would come to the preacher before he made any rules. The, anything, the, even if you weren't a Christian, if you had problems in your marriage, problems with your family, the preacher was the most respected person. He'd walk into the general store and they would, Preacher, here, have a bag of grain. Here's some flour. Thank you for being a man of God. Thank you for being in our community. I wish everybody in this room that you were a preacher for like six months and experience it from this side. You are the most villainized, (laughs) attacked, and hated person in America today. This is in the same nation, just a few decades apart. And it's not because of the preacher. And I get it, there's a bunch of, there's a ton of terrible preachers, and there's a reason that they got a bad name. I get all that. I didn't. I didn't do any of that stuff. (laughs) You, You can't get mad at me because some other preacher did stuff. You know this church hurt thing? Well, I used to go to church and that pastor did this to me. Okay. I went to Walmart one time and the people were evil. I went to a restaurant one time and a gal spilled water on me. Never going to another restaurant, them evil people in those restaurants. No. People actually have more value for restaurants and Walmart than God. I got hurt at church one time, so I'm never going to church. (laughs) You got hurt at the Walmart, you'll go back to the Walmart. You got hurt at a restaurant, you'll go back to the restaurant. You get hurt at work every day, and you clock in the next day. Why? Money. Which means money more important than God. Amen. Step two. First step, not glorifying God as God. Step two. Not being thankful. Not being thankful. I, I hate to kind of like keep going this direction, but it it just happens all the time that I'm that I'm talking to usually half of a marriage. Usually there's half of a a spouse that talks to me like they really want to affect marriage, and I and I, oftentimes I sit with this amazing man or this amazing woman, and I'm like. If your spouse knew what they had, you would not be sitting here. And I dare say there are people in this room that you have no idea what you have. You are not thankful for what you have. Not thankful for what... I know what I have. I know 
what Kay has done. To keep us together. The rest of my life serving and loving her is not enough. It's not enough. I know the value of her. And because of that, it is easy for me to love and serve her. And there are people in this room right now, married people, that you despise your spouse. And you literally look for opportunities to do things to cause hurt and pain to that person. Because you don't value what God gave you. What God gave you. And this isn't just in marriage for all you people that are unmarried. Like, yeah, get them, preacher. (laughs) This is parents to children. This is children to parents. Children to parents. You know, you probably all heard this when I turned 30. It was incredible to me how smart mom was. And what she had to do to hold our family together through all the stupid. We went through cult and abuse and 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 poverty and and all this stuff. And mom was this this pillar of God holding everything together in her little tiny 80 pound hands. And man, when I, I remember having the realization where I didn't have my mommy when I lived in Texas, when Kay and I went before there were cell phones, when you still had to pay long-distance call rates and, and do all, we went to Texas, just Kay and I didn't know nobody, didn't have no support, didn't have no money, didn't have nothing but each other and Jesus. Praise God, it was great. And while I was in there, I, I became very, very aware of how amazing my mommy was. And I wished while I was in Texas that I could have come back and told my mommy, How much value, how thankful I was that she was that way. And there are are children in this room that you have no idea what your parents have done for you to hold things together and get through. And yeah, they made terrible mistakes. They're not perfect. But you have parents. We support orphanages at Beloved Church. Just last year, we got back from an orphanage in Honduras. And those people that went, like, I'll never forget, like Pete and Cindy, like, who are grandparents, and they they were, like, broken to leave. Because here's all these orphans that have no mommies and no daddies. And they wanted to be a mother and a father. And there are children in this room right now, you don't give a rip about your parents. Because it's all about you. We're probably one of the most ungrateful, unthankful generations ever. Because just anything that we needed was just provided for us. The typical parenting skill today is just give them something to shut them up. If they want the, if they want the candy, give them the candy. 
There are children that are addicted to sugar because their parents addicted them. Because instead of dealing with the crying, they gave them what they wanted. And then they wonder why they serve the devil so good. Because that's exactly how the devil works. God, serving God is about being selfless. Serving Satan is about being selfish. The natural state of a person is to be cared for, is to be coddled. You have to make a child learn how to go poo-poo in the potty. That doesn't come natural. You have to make a child learn how to crawl, learn how to walk. It doesn't come natural. They'll just lay there. You have a 40-year-old baby laying on the floor in a diaper, crying, sucking a binky, if you let them. You actually have to make them grow up. It is not the natural state of a person. We're not thankful for the fact that God... I mean, think about it. We live in the greatest nation ever created by human hands. In the most prosperous... Amen. In the most prosperous time. You have in your pocket, if you have a smartphone, you have more computing power on your phone than all of NASA had to send a space shuttle to the moon. In your pocket. You have access to learn anything that you need to about science or history or math. And it comes free. In fact, the poorer you are, the more the government will give you. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you have received Christ, Jesus, your Lord, so walk in Him. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. Follow me. Most people come to Jesus as broken, humble, submitted people. Knowing that they are incapable of ever saving themselves. And so they throw themselves on the mercy of God. And then they think that the first thing that you need to do after that happens is to grow up and then no longer throw yourself on the mercy of God. As you receive Christ Jesus Lord, the same way you come to Him to obtain salvation is the same way that you come to Him to maintain salvation. And the word salvation, soteria, is the Greek word that comes from the word sozo. And sozo means healed, saved, preserved, protected. Same way you get saved is the same way you get healed. The same way you come to Jesus for your initial salvation is the same way you come to Jesus 50 years later for healing. No, you see, I'm way more holy now, 50 years later. I've been doing this and this and this and this. I've been earning things from you, God. You better heal me. (laughs) Guess why you are not experiencing a manifestation of your healing? As you have received Christ Jesus, as, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in Him. In Him. Not in you, in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. 
How do you become established and rooted and built up in Him and in the faith as you have been taught? Abounding with thanksgiving. I could probably say to anybody in this room, can you name me five people that are really negative people? And you could probably rattle off ten. And then I say, can you name me five people that are really thankful Joyful, happy people. That list would be hard to fill. Now you know why a lot of people really don't have their faith built up, established, and rooted in their lives. Because they're just not genuinely grateful people. Thankfulness is a rare quality today. Like I said, I woke up this morning, I'm like, man, this is Disneyland. I was so thankful to God. You know, Kay and I spent decades looking for a church like this. We spent all of our lives together looking for people like this. Today, I have... I have sisters... I have brothers. I have mothers. I have fathers. I have people that genuinely care about me. There are multiple folks that I could call day or night that would do anything for me. I'm so thankful. So thankful. And that's just the natural part. What did Jesus do? He bled a cross red. Most of you know that Hebrews 11 is the faith hall of fame. If you don't know, please read Hebrews chapter 11 today before you go to bed. It lists over and over and over the people that did amazing things in history because they just trusted God. It's a whole chapter, and it's, it's a fairly long chapter in the new, for the New Testament. And it just goes line after line of person after person that did these incredible things. And I think one of the most irritating part about a paper Bible, or the way the Bible is today, is that they actually stopped that whole thing by putting the word chapter 12. If you have a paper Bible... Please scribble out in your paper Bible the word chapter 12 and read Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 together the way that Paul wrote them, which was a letter that didn't have breaks in it. And you will be radically affected. The reason I say that is because Hebrews 11, it says all of this great examples, these people of old that did all these incredible things that changed the world. By just trusting God and trusting His promises. And then it starts out, Hebrews chapter 12, with therefore. Therefore. Who starts a chapter with wherefore? (laughs) Wherefore, seeing that we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Compassed means encircled. Right now, while you're sitting there. I know you are completely unaware of the fact that there are hundreds, maybe thousands of saints and angels that are surrounding us all right now. 
Well, I don't see them. Well, God bless you, because the only thing that exists is what you see. You don't see Wi-Fi neither. You don't see TV and radio signals, and they are in this room, and they are loud. If you don't believe me, I'll get a radio, plug it in, turn it on, tune it in, and it'll get loud. And those signals don't just show up when I plug in a radio. They're here right now. Whether you believe it or not, right now, as you're sitting there, you are compassed about with people that have gone before, angels, spirits, God Himself. Circling you. Encompassing you. With a great cloud of witnesses. The word of witnesses is martyrio, which is where we get our English word martyr. People that were so committed to their faith, so committed to trusting God that they died. Now, I am a martyr. I trusted God that He said that if I would make Him the Lord of my life, that He would take care of me. And I trusted Him, and so I came to Him and I died. I died for what I believed in. Every person in this room, you will die for what you believe in. What do you believe in? There are people that believe that Mother Earth and being green and saving the trees is the most important thing and they will die for a tree. Everybody dies for what they believe in. What do you believe in? Because we are surrounded by a great cloud of martyrs, let us lay aside, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. God, please take this weight from me. God, please take this sin from me. Son, please lay it aside. God, please take it. Son, please lay it aside. You are surrounded by a whole stadium of fans saying, Lay it aside! Lay it aside! Put it down! You can do it! We did it! You can do it! And these sin which does so easily beset us, it sneaks up on you. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Run with patience. That sounds weird, doesn't it? It's because it's a lifelong run. It's going to take patience. It's not a sprint. It takes patience to run this race. That's why folks get burnt out. You know, people come in here and they'll be like, This is the greatest church ever! You're the greatest pastor ever! Here's a thank you card. And every time that happens, I'm like, Ah, crap. They're gone. For real! Like, no, just come. And even if you feel that way, don't tell me. <laughs> just hide it like, yeah. I... Just, because it, usually when people like blow up that, it's a sprint. Like, oh, God, and, and Jesus, and love, and stuff, and whoo And then they're all wore out, and they're like, oh, I need to get high. Then they get high. And then they're gone. Condemned. Guilty. Shamed. And then they come back and they do another sprint. Okay, this time I'm... It's a run with patience. If you run this race with patience over the course of your life, you will honor those that have gone before. 
people in here, you have quote-unquote lost loved ones. I don't like that term because you don't lose anybody that's born again. In fact, they're more found now than you are. (laughs) But that's how people are. So if you have quote-unquote lost loved ones and you ever want to honor them, you know what you should do to honor them? Run your race. You think they want you to go show up at their celebration of life or their funeral or go to their grave site and put freaking... They do not want you to go to their grave where their rotting corpse is existing in a natural realm and they want you to put flowers on their maggot-ridden corpse. You know what everybody in heaven wants you to do? Run your race! Amen. Lay aside the sins and the weight that easily beset you. That's what they want. That's what they're rooting for you. They're not rooting for you to go to a graveyard. They're rooting for you to go to the graveyard of the world and empty out the graveyard. Raise the dead. Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. That's what they want you. You want to honor the crowd of witnesses? Go run your race. And run with patience. So you can make the whole race last your whole life. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You've got to look at Him. He's the finish line. If you run this race focused on Him, and you run it with patience, then you've got this whole encompassing group of people that are like, Get it! Come on, girl, you can do it! You can do it! Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We're receiving this kingdom. So you need to have grace. This is one of those times that the translation of the word doesn't really truly enumerate what the author is trying to say. Let me read this in some other versions. In the, newly, uh, the nearly inspired version, if you have an NIV Bible, it's nearly inspired. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Let us. You know, being thankful is a choice. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We we don't reverence and have awe for anything. We're awed by movies. God is boring. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable in the New Living Translation, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. Holy fear. When's the last time you heard someone talk like that? That they have a holy fear and holy awe and reverence for God. People will paint themselves up. Go naked nearly. Stand in 10 degree weather. And root for the Green Bay Packers to take a pigskin filled with air across a chalk line. And make fun of you for raising your hands in church. They're normal. You're weird. 
In the Berean Study Bible, the BSB, Therefore, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be filled with gratitude. Filled with gratitude. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I'm saying all this to say that it says in Psalms 100 that you enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. You enter into the kingdom with thanksgiving. That's His gates. His kingdom has gates. There's a wall around heaven. Amen. You'll catch that politically maybe on Tuesday. There's a wall around heaven. There's a very strict immigration policy in heaven. Amen. Don't get mad at me. God doesn't just let anybody roam in because they're having a bad day. you got to enter into the gate and you've got to enter into it humbly and submitting to the king. The way you enter into the, king, the gate is with thanksgiving. So if you enter into the kingdom with thanksgiving, then what do you do if you're whiny, complaining, and not valuing what God has done for you? You're exiting the kingdom. If you enter into the kingdom with thanksgiving, you exit the kingdom with all your whining and complaining. Every time you whine and complain, you are exiting the kingdom. That's not allowed in the kingdom of God. Every time you're praising God, you're entering into His courts. Every time you praise the enemy, well, you know what the devil did to me this week? You know how terrible my life is? Oh, let me tell you all the bad things that are going on in the world today. Every time you do that, you walk out of his courts. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. I don't know where you are. Honestly, I don't. But I could spend the rest of my life being thankful to God for the things that He's done for me and the things that He's given to me. The rest of my life. And I had to repent when He laid this on my heart because I have not been as thankful as I could have been. I'm giving you an opportunity to not have the same thing that I had. Please take this message and allow it to bring thankfulness out in you. Instead of having your father come and say to you, why are you not thankful for what I've done? Because that's what happened in my heart. And I repented. And I can tell you right now, I am not going to go back to that. I'm going to be thankful for everything that he's done for me everything He's doing for me, the plans and the purposes He has for my life, and what He's doing among you. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. 
You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.